Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and turn to Leviticus today. I feel like some of you read ahead, you know where we're going. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 18 today. Uh, If you are visiting with us for the first time, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Our senior pastor, uh, Jeff, is going through the book of Hebrews, and that's been really amazing. I've been going through Leviticus, which has been fun. We find how they complement one another. Um, And I just want to give a warning today on the topic. I will be using some language that you usually don't use at the dinner table. And I'll be using some language that might sound a little bit shocking and know that I am in the same boat with you. Uh, My oldest daughter understands most of what is in Leviticus 18 today. We're going to be talking about sexual ethics, how Israel was to biblically and in a holy way engage biblical relations, sex. Uh, This is an important topic. A lot of people say the church doesn't talk about it. Churches sometimes don't. They avoid this subject. I would love to avoid this subject, but it is in chapter 18, and we're going chapter by chapter. And I think this will be probably the third scariest sermon I will ever preach. The second one was chapter 15, where we dealt with discharges. Um, And the scariest one that I will probably ever preach will be later in the book of Leviticus, I encourage you to read ahead and try and find it. (laughs) So today we will be talking about incest. We will be talking about sexual sexual relations during a woman's menstrual cycle. We've talked about that before. We'll be talking about adultery, child sacrifice, homosexuality, and bestiality. These are instructions that Yahweh gives to Israel because of the exposure they have received and also because of the activity, if we were to be honest, they have engaged in. They were, upon, they were among Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and some of these laws were not um, placed on their people. There were ancient laws that we have uh, written in tablets of what citizens could and could not engage in. What seems really obscure or uncomfortable to us um, now in our own sexual ethics in the United States will change. In in my own generation, we have seen where what was taboo 15 years ago is now celebrated and and paraded on on t-shirts and on banners and on different festivals. So in the next 15, 20 years, what seems to be really risque or unimaginable, unless our nation does a quick U-turn, um, it, will be, it will be chaos. I think it's fitting for us to approach these topics, and I think it's best for our young adults to hear this. And Braggs, I'm praying for you guys. I remember, I remember Leviticus 15, and it was tough. It will be tough today. The Lord loves you. Um, that sermon, I have a fond memory of my heart because you guys were embracing one another as you were dealing with the awkwardness. <laughs> Embrace each other today. 
So as we go forward in the sermon today, we will be reading verses that cover civil, ceremonial, and moral laws. And we need to be mindful of this because there are parts of the law in Leviticus that are fulfilled in Christ. Two examples. We do not follow Israel's instructions on making sacrifice to God. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we do not bring a bird or a goat or a bull and sprinkle its blood on anything. We come wearing nice khakis and polos and we sing songs and we honor God in hearing his word preached. Another example of this is some of you possibly eat pork. I love to eat octopus. You might like crab. You might put cheese on your hamburger or make it a cheeseburger. These are things that Israel would not do. They would not put cheese on on meat. They would not eat any shellfish. They would not eat pork. But Jesus declared all food clean. And we see this repeated in the New Testament. So we do not observe this law. So there's going to be parts of this chapter where we will warn you not to engage, not to do. And then there will be other parts that aren't very that very pleasant to talk about still. But we will say this doesn't apply here. And I want you to understand we are not cherry picking. Well, this one just accommodates us now because of culture or because science or because of my routine. No, we come to Leviticus and we see, has Christ fulfilled this? If he has, we might not follow it. If this isn't something dealing with a fulfillment in Christ, then we might feel that we need to observe it. And I think it's important, as I've said time and time again as we go through Leviticus, it's good for us to look at these laws because we don't want to make our own religion and we don't want to sell short what Christ has done. If he has fulfilled a feast or a sacrifice or something pointing to him, we should stop and say, hallelujah. And instead we shouldn't cling to that symbol or to that festival and saying, I need to perform my own righteousness. So we come to verse 1 through 5 in chapter 18. And the Lord gives a warning up front with this chapter. He's going to answer the why. He's going to tell you what not to do. But first he's going to say, this is why I ask this of you. So verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You should not do as they do in the land of Egypt. Where they lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, in which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So, why are they to listen? I am the Lord. That's repeated six times just in this chapter. So I would encourage you to to highlight that. You have been a child once. You have spoken to some authority over your life, a parent, a grandparent, and you have wanted to do something, and they have said no, and you have said, why? And they have told you, because I said so. And I love giving that answer to my children. Some of it's because I'm sinful, I love to frustrate, and I'm, 
I'm just being honest there. But, but seriously, you want to know why? This is a simple thing. I am the authority in your life. And if you just learn how to submit to the authority in your life, it will go well with you. So there's a reason why you can't do candy bars and then do ice cream and then do soda. And I'm not going to go through all, all the reasons why it's medically bad for you, little one. I'm going to tell you, you do so because I say so. Now, the culture will be screaming at Israel, and the culture screams at us. You are bigoted. You are hateful. You, are, you have some type of phobia about you. And it will ask you, why can't you submit? Why can't you follow? Why can't you loosen up? Why can't you live in the real world? Let me encourage you not to see this world as the real world. Why? Because God is my God. Because I serve the Lord. Because I said so. Exodus 6, 6 through 7, the Lord uses his name to remind Israel of their deliverance before them. He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. One of the reasons why the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God, is to remind them he is the one that has delivered them. So when I start to go to negotiating and try and create my own ethics, especially in regard to sexuality and how I should not just engage it, but view it, I should keep my commitment to the Lord. He delivered me from an impossible situation. No self-help book, no other religion, no money, no close friend could deliver me from my sin and my guilt. The Lord has rescued you. Your God has rescued you. When Israel hears these laws, they're in the middle of no man's land, in a wilderness, not yet placed into a promised land, but delivered from one of the most powerful empires of their day. I've delivered you. I've rescued you. That's, that's someone you want to give your ear to. That's a great reason. Kiddos, why follow your parents? Because they love you. They provide for you. Another reason the Lord uses this phrase is to inform Israel of the holy standard that Yahweh has called upon them. Leviticus 11.44 is going to be ingrained in your mind by the time we finish this book. For I am the Lord your God, and you must sanctify yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. A reason why we follow his statutes is because we're not called to just be saved and happy and sinful and casual and relaxed in that. We have been saved so that we now might be set apart and holy unto God. What a beautiful calling to follow in his likeness. And we will not be perfect in this life. 
We do have mess-ups, and we're going to get to that as we go through this chapter. But one of the reasons why he says, I am the Lord your God, is to remind them, you are to look like me. You are now my child. We're now supposed to mirror each other in a very real way. These other nations, they do not know me. They do not mirror me. Our culture does not know God, and it might profess to know our God better than us, but beloved, they don't know him through deliverance. And they don't listen to him and the command to be holy and find it as inviting, but instead they find it as insulting, old-fashioned, hateful, kooky. This phrase often provides for them also a motive of observing and participating in this law. Under under Yahweh's covenant, the people of God were expected to keep the law, not merely as a formal duty, but as a loving response to God's grace in redemption. I have a lot of verses you can't see, but if you want to meet me at the playground, I have references for that. But one of the reasons why, and I will be at the playground, ask me about Leviticus. People aren't taking me up on it. I don't know why. I am the Lord your God is one of those ways to say, respond in love. I am yours. You are mine. Let's not lose this. Some of the most beautiful relationships you receive on this earth are built on this exchange. Off of a commitment, off of rules and boundaries to protect it and keep it safe and show respect. So, the, so Yahweh begins, the Lord begins this section, one through five, with saying, I'm going to warn you and I'm going to use my name. And how beautiful it is that his name is a welcoming invitation for us. Now in verses three and four, we have a mention of Egypt and Canaan. These nations, they practice sexual actions that Israel is not to adopt. And we are people that can relate to that. We we live in a culture that is demanding we adopt certain sexual customs of our day. We are not to follow these unholy practices. Why? Because he has delivered us. Why? Because the Lord desires us to be holy. Why? Because we love our conquering king and we have pledged our allegiance to him. And the culture is saying, pledge your allegiance to us. Place us high. Commit to us. Let us exchange with you. Don't cast light on us. Seven times it is repeated that Israel is not to behave like these people. In verse 3, it's mentioned twice. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 27, verse 29, verse 30. Young adults, hear this. The culture will scream in your ear for you to follow. It will scream in the ear for you to follow. I am an adult. I am a pastor. And I have people still screaming in my ear. There's there's no shame in it. 
There's no embarrassment in it. And I'm a pastor who married a wife. We were both homeschooled. I was her first handhold. You know, like, uh, like I was just one of those sheltered kids. Thanks be to God. No shame in that. Like, I rejoice in tap dancing that. And if you're not, awesome. You had a little bit more fun, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to compare lives here. I love my testimony, okay? It didn't save me. Christ saved me, not my track record, not my resume here. It's Christ that saved me. But I have such a Melba Toast background. I am a minister. I have a bunch of kids. And people still, without any shame, want to press upon me. Adult, adopt our culture. Young ones, you, you will you will lose sleep. You will shed tears. You will receive anxiety. You will feel hated by this world if you faithfully serve Christ. But he has delivered you. And they're asking for you to tie yourself to chains. Don't do it. Don't compromise. So verse 6 through 18 talks about forbidden unions. Verse 6. None of you shall approach anyone in his clo- uh, of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. Now, uncovering nakedness is a euphemism for sex, okay? You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, uh, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You should not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. I have never said the word naked that many times in all of my life. How much time do I got? So, we do find within this law code, there are some parallels within other nations. For instance, uh, the law of Hammurabi and the Hittite laws permits one taking one's daughter. And what's really interesting is within all of this here in verse 6 through 18, there's no 
prohibition against a man taking his direct daughter uh, for sexual interaction here. And one of the reasons is it was just known throughout all the nations not to do so. Um, It's just innate within the peoples. That is wrong. And some of the things we think would be innate and wrong for us, that's not plugged into them. We've had generation upon generation of Christendom and covenant passed by God that is within our system. Um, Another reason is uh, your daughter had with her a dowry. And this is ancient times, and we don't think this way, but your daughter, you receive a dowry. You don't want to ruin that, so you keep that. Uh, There's another sex ethic, and there's others in this passage that are not mentioned. Uh, Israel was not to marry someone outside of their people. They were supposed to keep a line within these 12 tribes. And we see some exceptions to the rule throughout the Old Testament, but by, especially Jesus' genealogy. Uh, but by and large, Israel was to, was to keep themselves separate. We see this in Deuteronomy 7.3. So the summary of what we find in all the instructions here, one is not to lay with mother, with stepmother, an aunt by his father or mother, or by marriage, that would be an uncle's wife, sister, half-sister, stepsister, sister-in-law, stepdaughter, daughter-in-law, granddaughter, and granddaughter. I'm not going to go through every one of those verses and exegete that. I think the summary summarizes that up pretty well here. But I had a question about what if your own personal history touches on this. One of the common things, one of the common arguments I hear why someone should do an abortion is because of incest, which I don't think the Bible gives you any merit on that argument. What if you're someone born from that? Within the Old Testament, we find people who do not follow this sex ethic here. And I don't want you to think that if you're really obedient in this, which was easy for me as a kid in some ways, that then you're saved. Like if you're sexually pure, then you're saved. That's not at all what Leviticus 18 is going is teaching at all. But we have Lot who laid with his two daughters. We have Jacob who wasn't obedient with this and he married Leah and Rachel. We have David We have plenty of individuals in the covenant people that were not obedient to this. And I just want to tell you, if you're someone that views themselves as sexually broken or unfaithful or unredeemable, look at the people who have been in God's covenant. Those who he has loved, who he has washed clean and delivered from these things. This does not give us an excuse to do whatever we want to with our bodies and not take this act seriously. But there are men and women within the people of God who have touched on this wrongfully and yet are a part of his family. Verse 19 through 23 has warnings of other customs. And this is really where I could be uh, accused of cherry-picking here. Let's go to verse 19. 
You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual cycle. So we'll stop there. We've already talked about this in chapter 15, and we're here talking about it yet again. And in Leviticus 15, it's talking about being ritually clean and ritually unclean. This is not a sin issue here. Okay, this is a normal function of the body. And when a woman goes through her period of time, she is not ceremonially right to approach the tabernacle. So because of this, Israel is instructed, during this time, if you want to go to the tabernacle, if you want to remain ritually clean, you are to abstain during this time. But what we also found in Leviticus 15, if that was not the case, if someone still engaged with their wife during this time, they washed. They waited until evening. The next day, they were ritually clean. So people might throw 19 at you and say, Leviticus is filled with a bunch of obscure laws. And you say, yeah, I know. My pastor made me go through it. But verse 19 is something that we don't have to necessarily apply to because we're not going to a tabernacle. We're not worrying about if we are ceremonially clean before God. We have been washed in the blood of Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins. We have the ultimate sacrifice that has freed and delivered us. So we can eat all kinds of food. And there are some things that we benefit from being a part of Christ. Verse 20 speaks on adultery. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. And some people ask, well, what if there's consent? That, that, is, a, that is an argument you will hear left and right, young adults. Is consent really the best ethic? Is consent really the, the best boundary to, to live your life in? Think about the individual that is engaged in drugs. They they have ruined their life. Doctors are trying to keep them alive, or they look like they're 20 years older. Yeah, but they consented to get, I don't know how graphic, I would say mildly graphic, I don't think it's mild. At what age do you apply the consent law? At 18? You're telling me there's no 15-year-old that will consent? this kind of engagement, you can go down lower. Consent is not the highest ethic. That is like the most pitiful, weakest thing you can throw at someone because people consent to some of the most wicked and perverse, stupid things in this life. You are to be faithful. You are to not to steal your neighbor's wife. Notice that all of these are written on the perspective of the male, okay? And this is because this is the Old Testament law, and this is the way that homes and systems are built. The Lord is instructing, this is how you are to build up your home, understanding that the man is the head of the home. This is not to say that women are not at all tempted with sexual enticements. It, it happens both ways. However, the law leads with man's headship here. Then we move on to child sacrifice. Verse 21. You should not give to any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. 
there have been found archaeological discoveries in places like Egypt near the Jordan, places in, in Turkey, of these altars. And there are remains of little ones scattered throughout them. And I'm not going to go into detail. I'm, I'm going to stop myself short. There's, yeah, I'm not going to go there either. I got little ones here and I just can't do it. But I love you guys. I just can't do it. There have been remains found. The Lord, say, the, the Lord says this profanes his name. That is, this removes the glory of my name among you. You want to anger God. You treat your body the way you think it should, outside of his design. And then you take other life. And for the hopes of better crops, of answered hopes, out of evil mysticisms, you destroy these little ones. God is enraged. And I think it's very fair for me to parallel this with abortion. Though it is not yet born, it is inside the safest place it should be. Yet statistics show that the womb is not safe if you're a numbers person. And they might not offer it up to some deity or some statue named Moloch. It might not be at a pillar in front of flames. You might not hear it cry or scream. You are still offering it up to some hope, some dream, some false idea of escape. But beloved, the Lord is your God. The Lord is the one who can deliver you. And taking an innocent life will not deliver you. But the God who makes covenant with us, he is the one that will deliver you. Do not profane his name. So someone I ask, well, why are you pro-life then? Because I do not want to profane the name of God. They will not understand you. And no matter what comes out of your mouth, beloved, they're not going to understand you. It is only by the Holy Spirit will they understand you. It's only through him poking at the conscience will they then see. Don't stifle your conscience. Young adults have a sensitive conscience. When I married Amber very early on in our year, very early on in our marriage, we did a couple of things, just changed a couple of little things you might think them silly. Because I wanted a sensitive conscience. And I love it. And it's, and it's happened. You can create that. You can create a conscience that's more sensitive to things. Do so. Do so now. Verse 22. You should not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now there are people that do exegetical gymnastics where they point about they point at different passages like Genesis 
19, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, 13, Judges 19, Romans 1, 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and even the passages that Jesus has to say about marriage. So they'll point to these and say, that doesn't really mean what you think it means. It means something else. You need to be hospitable or something bizarre. This is outside of God's good design. Abomination simply means from the root meaning the Lord hates this or he abhors this. Very simple. In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are placed together. It is good. And it is good for man and woman to be together. And that's a message we should be saying pretty often, not in a weird way, but it's a message we should say pretty often within the church. It is good for a man and a woman to be together. That's not your ultimate salvation. Some of you might not have that union in your life, but it is good. It is a beautiful design. But to go outside of God's design is to belittle his law, to defame his name, and to do something he hates. So if you love him, don't do something that he hates. Then we have verse 23, bestiality. And you shall not lie with an animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. So perversion here can also mean confusion. The Lord did not desire us to engage with an animal in any such way. It is not suitable for man. When... when Adam was naming all the animals on the earth. I don't think he was doing so with a sexual desire in him as he's naming these animals. I don't think that was there. But as he's naming them, he's seen he does not have a companion. He has nothing that he can engage with his intellect and interact in the same way. He's seen all these other animals that are able to, to have their own kind of society. He is left on his own. But then woman is brought to him. And it makes sense. And it's good design. And to engage in such ways with an animal is ungodly. It's perverse. It's wicked. Now we have verse uh, 24 through 29. We're almost at the end. Conclusion and final warning. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So he is saying, these nations have done so, and I have vomited them out. They are repulsive. You can't control vomiting naturally. I mean, I guess you could make yourself, but, but it's something that you just, you do in, instantaneously. You become sick. Something's hit you hard. You are overwhelmed by nausea or whatever it is, and you spew that out. These things that are wicked, it's like the Lord saying, when I see them, I can't control my own belly. You shall not do these things. Don't excuse them away. Don't point to other people. Don't belittle them. 
see them as strange and as unholy. And verse 26 tells us this is not just to be a practice among those as are Israelites, but also those who sojourn among them. There's no, there's no syncretism here. This is a law followed out by the land. Verse 27. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Let me remind you that Israel was not saved because of how they practiced these statutes perfectly. And then they were delivered. That's not how it worked. When the Lord heard their cries, he didn't say, look at those beautiful, clean, attractive, spotless babes, spotless lambs bleeding in the fields. He saw these slaves people that engaged most likely in many of the practices by their oppressors. They were saved by grace. You are saved by grace. God delivered you out of his love. Out of that love, we commit ourselves to him. Receiving faith, we trust and believe what he says is good and it leads to life. Galatians 2.16, Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. This law written here does not save you. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And do not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be Justified. This law shows you to be guilty and in need. Christ is seen needed in this law. Our faith is what presses us to follow in obedience and to observe these laws. But it is not what saves us. People of faith want the promises of God. The people of faith desire to be like God and to be holy, set apart. And the people of God respond in love and submit to his boundaries. So my exhortation for you is in these intimate details, in love, in an exhortation to be holy, in a remembrance of what God has done, keep your body and your mind holy and pure for his service, for your home, and for the benefit of his church, that as you walk in this pureness of life, others might see Christ. Others might find beauty. And people will make sense of the design that God has created. Let's bow in prayer.
Father, I thank you so much for your word. I confess that it is overwhelming at times. I pray that there are any of those here wrestling with sexual sin, Father, that they would remind themselves they are saved by grace and that they would plead Christ. Remind us that faith is a gift. Remind us that our sins have been washed clean. And in response, Lord, may we follow in obedience and may it not be burdensome to us. Protect our young adults. Lord, protect this culture as it is wicked. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.